don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Siri, go away and turn on Do Not Disturb. Do Not Disturb is already on. Great. Siri, don't interrupt me for the next two out. Siri? Hey, Siri. Do not disturb me for the next two hours. Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Siri, go away. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, and to keep my friends happy, and to potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. However, I am never on this quest alone, and this week, once again, I am joined by one of my best friends, despite the fact that he is a Mariners fan, Dylan Black. Dylan, how is it going? First off, (laughs) rude considering you come from probably one of the most beleaguered Major League Baseball fandoms of all time until 2015, period. Or, look, I'm a Cubs fan, yes, but I never claimed to be relevant. I'm disappointed. Also, you're wearing a Mariners jersey. It was the first thing that popped into my head. Well, gotta support the boys. I mean, I respect that. Look, I have nothing against the Mariners until they play the Cubs. And when they play the Cubs, I hope the Mariners lose. Rude. (laughs) Fair enough, but how are you doing? Oh, you know, living life, supporting the boys, watching movies that you haven't seen. (laughs) So, most of them? (laughs) Most of them. Yeah, no. So, we are talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail this week. I know last week I asked you, you know, what was your history? Like, when did you see it? Now, because you have already answered that question, I have come up with the second dairy question. Is if you were to be one of the Knights of Camelot, which one would you be? Probably Sir Lancelot, because... He is the most amusing out of because he's like the straight man of the uh, of the knights. He's very much the least ridiculous, in my opinion. Not based on what I just watched. I mean, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> like the least ridiculous in terms of like their personalities. But he still does plenty of ridiculous things. But he's like the one who takes things the most seriously. And I find that the most amusing. OK, fair enough. Yeah, we will get into Lancelot's antics in a later point of this episode. So, where we left off, we were just introduced to our lovely knights of the round table and all of the different knights. So, the knights are all out. They are all traveling by trot, of course. That is the only way that they can travel. And they come across a castle. And they have reached Camelot. And... We then get a lovely song about Camelot and the knights. And you have a sextuplet of singers, and you have dancing knights as well. They dance whenever they are able to. They do routines and chorus scenes with impeccable footwork. And might I just say, the footwork was impeccable. And 
As the knights are dancing on the table, one of them kicks a poor man who's just carrying something. I feel bad for this man. He's just trying to do his job, and he's just getting kicked around. I think they're really kind of leaning into the whole joke on that at that point. I also feel like this scene in particular is what kind of gave precedence to the idea of the musical Spamalot. Mm, I have heard of Spamalot, but I don't know much about it. It is a musical version of this movie. Oh. Written by written by Monty Python and everything. It's been on Broadway. Like it's a very highly acclaimed musical as well. And I think this is kind of where the idea of making musical kind of game was given form initially. Uh, Cause uh, particularly after this movie, they started to really delve into more music themes in a lot of their other movies. Like if you ever get around to watching life of Brian, they also do musicals in there. So it's something that becomes more thematic for them. Sure. Understandable. Yeah, I never realized that this is where Spamalot spawned from. Like, I've heard of Spamalot. I've heard some of the music from Spamalot, but I can't place any of it off the top of my head. I know that I've definitely listened to it, but I've never seen the show or read the show. Yeah. But I never knew that it was stemmed from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, or that it was the musical version of this. So... They also kick everything off the table. One singer pulls down a banner and he brings down the roof as well. And I laughed out loud at that point. And you also have a prisoner who is chained up and he's just clapping along to the music. I enjoyed that little guy. He was just vibing. He was like, I might be in prison, but we're having a party. Let's go. Even the prisoners are partying in Camelot. Look, that's how Camelot is. It's a happy place. I mean, it's such a happy place that the knights know how to tap dance Oh my goodness, I am here for it. They do. They can do can-can lines. These knights are amazing, and I need a whole story just about these knights. And one likes to push the pram a lot. <laughs> yes. And then one knight starts playing, like, the drums on the other knight's helmets. And when I saw that, I immediately was like, oh... High School Musical 2. <laughs> it's very possible that this movie has influenced quite a few different scenes, not just in comedies, but also gave ideas to other movies as well. This film definitely, I feel, gives a lot of stepping stones for other comedies and other films that we see that are released at a later date that they stem mm -hmm. and they pull... Not necessarily storylines or anything like that, but they might pull an idea. They might pull yeah. a thing and be like, hey, that was a funny thing. Let's elaborate on that kind of deal. We'll get to that a bit more because I think now that you've brought this up, and I didn't think about this initially when I first wrote down my notes, but now that you brought it up, it reminds me of something that happened later that we'll discuss in this episode. So we'll get to that soon um about Lancelot and that whole situation that we will get mm -hmm. to. So after the song finishes, we cut back to Arthur and he's like, "You know what? Let's not go to Camelot. It's a silly place." And so as they travel along, you hear thunder and then a voice from the heavens, and I'm like, "It's God." 
God is a man with a large beard. He has a red crown slash hat and fiery orange slash red eyes. Yes? Question mark? I, I would probably put it at, at about that. Yeah. Yay, I got the color right. So the knights all kneel and God tells them, don't grovel. Arthur's like, I'm sorry. And God's like, don't apologize. It's always sorry this and forgive me for that. And I just started laughing. I was like, I like how... And I'm not worthy. <laughs> I like how God is also just fed up with humans. And this is still 936 AD. It's just like Christianity has <laughs> been around for only this long. And I'm already growing tired of it. Like, you haven't even been around for a thousand years. Go away. Yep. <laughs> so finally, God does tell Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table that they ha he has a task that will make them an example in the dark times. And he shows Arthur and the Knights the Holy Grail and explains that it is Arthur's sacred task to seek the Grail and that this is his purpose. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's how he's told about the Holy Grail. I don't feel like I was completely wrong in how he ended up on the quest for the Holy Grail. Don't get me wrong, I was wrong. But he did kind of luck his way into it a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I'm going to take this as a, like, 25% victory. It's not passing. 25% victory. It's not passing, but it's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we then get some animated horns. It's like the fancy ones that you see during historical times. They're long brass. What are they called? <laughs> I cannot remember. Do you know what they're called? What do you mean? Like the... Like, like what? what is that horn called? I feel like Mr. Pitt will be very disappointed in both of us right now. I think it's mainly... Is it just called a horn? I think it's just a horn. Sure. But... This whole scene is just pure ridiculousness. Let me explain it, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, it is, this entire little segment is all animated, and I will do my best to explain it for all the listeners out there listening. So This is definitely something that you have to go see for yourself to really get an understanding of. Yes. If you haven't seen this film yet, like I said a lot during the first episode of Monty Python as we were going through it, pause this episode. Go watch the film and then come listen to us talk about it because it will make so much more sense. This is a film that it's hard to just understand what's going on if you haven't witnessed it already once at least with your own eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah, we get some animated horns and the horns from the sky. So they're coming in from the sky. And they knock a poor shepherd off of his hill. They leave the sheep, but they knock the shepherd down. And I was like, um, I feel bad for the shepherd, but he called wolf one too many times. Oops. So, and there are other members in this philosophical world of the sky, I guess. And they are bent over. Their heads are through their knees. They are completely nude. And they are playing the horns out of their butts. Mm-hmm. That's the scene. That's it. Indeed. I laughed. I was confused. 
Every animation so far has confused me in this film. I'm very confused by all of them. I do not get any of them. I personally feel like they just told whoever was animating it, which I think was several of either several of them or the people that they hired for it. They just said, this is kind of what we want. Be as ridiculous as you truly want to. Because honestly, that's kind of the unhinged thing we got. I respect that. I mean, it is so out of the blue, completely different than anything we have seen so far. That I was yeah. like, what is this? Like, I feel like I've gone to a different film. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching the same film anymore. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a wild time. I think ridiculous is the best way to describe that scene it, it truly is mainly just because like you look at it and you're just like okay like i get that they're trying to do the whole like angels and and stuff kind of shtick but you're like i'm sorry i didn't get angels and stuff kind of shtick i got the animators got bored and were like how silly can we make this well we need horns because the music requires horns so let's put some horns on the screen and then i feel like in the 1970s they were all just hanging around having a good time and one of them was like what's the silliest way that you can play a horn and someone just yelled out of your butt and that stuck and that's what they animated <laughs> You know what? I, I believe that, honestly. That's... I feel like that's legitimately how that conversation went. Like, they were just like, we need some horns. How do we play them? Yep. <laughs> so, moving on. We then see some big letters. The quest of the Holy Grail. So we are off. We are on this quest. I have a prediction. My prediction is that by the end, they will find the Holy Grail. However, they face sadness in some way shape or form my prediction is that arthur actually doesn't make it to the end of the film arthur dies mm. like he finds the holy grail he finds it but then dies in a way to like get it kind of deal so like it's kind of like a sacrifice thing of like you know you can get the grail but then your soul has to be left behind or something like that is what i'm thinking is gonna happen that's my prediction. We'll see. I don't know. I still haven't gotten to the end of the film. So, the nights are off, and we have a little montage of travel. And, as always, they are trotting. They arrive at a castle, and they announce their presence. With an out-of-tune, sad horn. Nobody answers them. And at first, I was like, is this the castle from the beginning? Turns out, it wasn't. So, the guard arrives and tells them that they are at the castle of... Guido Lombard? Did I get that right? Yep. Guido Lombard! Guido Lombard. Lovely. So Arthur asks for food and shelter, and in exchange, the master, Guido, can join the quest for the Holy Grail. The guard says he will check, but is unsure as Guido already has one, and Arthur is obviously confused. And then you see the guard up on his castle and his tower and he looks at all of his friends who are hiding behind the wall and he's like i told them they've already got one and i'm just like yes i love this guard he's just out here to have a good time let's go <laughs> yeah it certainly is ridiculous and 
honestly, what follows is probably one of a series of some of the greatest comedy, um, in my opinion, on film. Fair enough. I will say this. Out of all the movies that I have reviewed for this podcast, it is the funniest sequence of events that I have witnessed. That's not saying a lot. I've seen two films for this podcast. It's not saying a lot, but it's still worth noting because of how ridiculous it is. It is ridiculous. So let's get into some ridiculousness. So Arthur asks if they can come inside, have a look at the Holy Grail that apparently Guido has. The guard says no, saying that they are English and that they are French. And why does he, Arthur, think that he has this outrageous accent and calls him a silly king? I like this guard. This guard for the win. He's just here to have a good time. Look, he has a boring job. No one normally comes to the castle because they're French and they're in England. So, of course, no one's going to come to the castle. He's got to have some fun. What are you doing in England? Exactly. So Arthur says that if they do not show them the grail, then they will take the castle by force. And my legitimate note is, you and what army? There are five knights and five servants. And one knight is a chicken and was literally beaten by a chicken. I think it's also important to note that Sir Robin's emblem is a chicken. That is fantastic. Like, his shield has a chicken on it. I didn't notice that, but I love that. I have no faith in Sir Robin, but I want him to succeed. I have no faith, but I want him to succeed. And also, just to note, the French have the high ground, and if we've learned anything from Obi-Wan Kenobi, the high ground is important. So all of this to say, I still think that the Knights are going to win. I have faith in the Knights at the Round Table, although the odds are stacked against them. So let us see how they fare. So the guard calls them English pig dogs and that he isn't scared of them. He says he blows his silly nose. No, I'm sorry. He doesn't blow his silly nose. He blows his regular nose at the silly King Arthur. And his silly... I gotta be careful. It's pronounced Kniggets. I have to be careful, but Kniggets. Yes. And he ends up blowing raspberries at them. Lovely. Very well done. Again, go watch this scene. It'll make a lot more sense. So the guard continues to just keep throwing insults. Mm -hmm. And he calls them empty-headed animal, food-through wiper. So the knights at the round table ask if there is anyone else that they can talk to. The guard says, no, go away or I will taunt you a second time. And I'm like, mate, you've taunted them like four times at this point. I'm surprised Arthur hasn't gotten upset at you and shot an arrow yet. And then I also thought, wait a minute, Arthur doesn't have arrows. So this makes sense. And then I had less faith in the knights because I was like, how are you taking over a castle with no arrows? Spoiler alert, it doesn't go very well. (laughs) So... Arthur says it's the guard's last chance. The guard gives a command in French, I'm assuming. And we see the guards in the castle get a cow. I have, I can't figure out based on piecing together the fact that this is a romance language after all. See, listeners, this is why I have guests, because they go through a lot of effort. I've, I believe it literally translates to fetch the cow. Sure. So they get a cow. 
And at first I was slightly confused, why are we getting a cow? Turns out, they launched the cow at the knights. Biological warfare, baby. Fair enough. It also hits one of the servants, and I felt bad for him. I was like, poor guy. He's just, he's just there carrying a pack, and he just gets blindsided by a cow. So Arthur and the others charge the castle with their swords, and they are met with more livestock ammunition. And my first question was, do you not help get the cow off of the servant that just got pummeled by a cow? You just go no. attack this castle? Okay, fine. So... The French throw ducks, deer, and you also hear some cats and chickens. So I'm assuming some cats and chickens got thrown. And pretty much the knights at the round table run up to the castle, get bombarded by livestock, and run away from the castle. Run away! What did they think was going to happen? Did they think that that was going to be successful? There were five of them. Yeah, I think it's important to note that the they are just not intelligent. Oh, they are not. They play up to the fact that most not most even knights weren't very literate. Literacy was very hard to come by in the Middle Ages, even for those who had status. Definitely. But Bedivere does have a plan. So time has passed and the guard in the distance hears a swaying and then a crash. He hears many loud noises, including what sounds like a chainsaw. You can't tell where the noises are coming from. And we see a cart with wheels. And it is being pushed. And I'm like, oh, it's a lovely bunny thing. Like the Trojan horse from the Battle of Troy. And the French guards see the present. They go out, they get it, and they take the present in. Lovely. Bedivere then explains that now it is time that he, Lancelot, and Galahad wait until night and leap out of the rabbit. You're not in the rabbit. Arthur realizes the same thing that I realized, that they are not in the rabbit. And then the French proceed to launch the rabbit at the knights. And it also lands on top of a servant. And I feel really bad if it was the same servant. I don't think it's the same one. I still feel bad. I feel like the servants just get beaten up on a lot in this film, which is hilarious. But also, poor servants. If we built this large wooden badger. <laughs> <laughs> so we then cut to a feature for schools. Take eight specifically. We learn that the defeat at the castle has disheartened King Arthur. The ferocity of the French taunting took him by surprise and that Arthur knew a new strategy was needed. The knights all separated and that is what they did. And... And this is what they did. And just then, a knight runs by and slices the man's neck, killing him instantly. Frank's wife, Frank is the man who is narrating this whole little sequence, Frank's wife runs over to the dead Frank, and I was laughing much harder than I should have at dead Frank. Oh, it was so funny. I did not expect a drive-by murder. No one ever does. It's very rare. I will say, no one, no one really expects that it's going to happen. Just like nobody expects the Bre uh, Spanish Inquisition. Which is, is also from Monty Python. Why not? At this point, everything is. Yeah. So, we get to the tale of Sir Robin. The Remember, he is the timid, scared one. So, he rode north 
through the dark forest of Ewing, accompanied by his favorite minstrels. We then hear a lovely song about how brave Sir Robin is. Brave and the bold Sir Robin rode forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to buy. Oh, brave Sir Robin. Look, if you're going <laughs> to sing the song, sing the song. Sing it with heart, Dylan. Nah, that's not my talent. No one ever said it had to be your talent. I just want to hear it with heart. I'm not going to sing it. You're no fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we learn that he isn't afraid to die. He's not scared to be killed in nasty ways. Smashed into pulp, eyes gouged out, kneecaps broken, body burned away, limbs all hacked and mangled, head smashed in, heart cut out, liver removed, bowels unplugged, nostrils uh -huh. raped, bottom yep. burnt, <laughs> penis, and then Robin cuts off the music when they get to penis. He didn't want to hear that one. That one was one too many. But... The fact that the music was just being sung behind him makes it a thousand times better. We then come across Dennis, who still is babbling along about preserving freedom. And we also pan out and see three knights that are stabbed through their chest with a massive lance. A few questions. One, how do you get a lance that big? I mean, it is through three people in their metal armor as well as a thick tree behind them. It's gone straight through the tree. And to also put into perspective how big this lance is, the base of the lance is the same size as the man's chest that they have just stabbed. And also, did Dennis and the Lady Muck, who, at this point I'm calling her Lady Muck, did they just murder three knights? Uh, I was no. very confused. <laughs> the answer is no to the last one. We'll explain. So Robin is stopped by a knight who has three bodies, three heads all conjoined together. And I just felt bad for the middle knight in this situation because he doesn't get any limbs. He's at the full mercy of the other two. That poor man. So Indeed. the musicians go straight back into the song to introduce Robin. Robin says he just wants to pass through and doesn't really want anything. And then Robin reveals that he is part of the round table. The three-headed knight. He is brave, Sir Robin, Sir Robin. <laughs> that is about it. But he is not brave. So the three heads start trying to decide whether to kill him or not. The left head wants to. The middle head wants to kill, but obviously cannot because he has no limbs. And the right head is like, you know what? Let's be kind. The middle says that the left snores. The left head is offended, saying that the middle head has bad breath. And the middle claps back, saying it's because the left he head doesn't brush his teeth. They keep going back and forth. And they finally agree to kill Robin, and then go off and have tea. But it is very important to note that they just wanted tea and not biscuits. Just tea. Mm-hmm. Cut back. Robin is gone. Bye, Felicia. He's yep. just he's just out of there. <laughs> he just he, he left. <laughs> the singers are singing "Brave Sir Robin ran away," and Robin is trying to say, <laughs> "No." Robin is trying to say, "This isn't true. I never ran away. You ran away." Turned about and gunly, he chickened out. <laughs> and then we get a weird animation of monks walking up a plank, getting on a diving board, jumping into the water. And a requiem plays in the background. And they are singing the exact same thing that they sang at 
earlier in the film when they were walking through that village. Oh. Yeah. Okay, now it makes a little more sense. But that's the tale of Sir Robin. Very straightforward. He's a coward. He runs away. Yeah. Like, you don't get any more than that. <laughs> you don't get any more. I mean, Robin came across the task. He fled. Good for him. So, we then get to the tale of Sir Galahad, the pure. He is in a storm and crawling through the forest. Things are not looking good. There is lots of fog. He sees a light in a castle which shines and looks like the Holy Grail to him. Galahad makes his way to the castle gate and they open the door for him. And he has arrived at Castle Anthrax. He is greeted by a woman in white robes. And there are all the women behind her are all wearing white clothes as well. And they all agree that this isn't a good castle name. Castle Anthrax is a terrible castle name. Mm -hmm. I agree. Like, like Anthrax, as in the material. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't like the name. It was a poorly named castle. Like, they agreed. I agree. I agreed. Galahad asks if the Holy Grail is here. And the main lady deflects, saying that he needs rest. She has two girls, Midget and Crapper, go off to prepare his bed. And I was like, why are the girls so excited to prepare him a bed? We'll get to it. And Sir Galahad introduces himself as the Chaste? The Chast? Chaste? Chaste. Chaste. Also known as, I mean, his name is literally Sir Galahad the Pure. Right, but I was confused, like, is, does he not normally introduce himself as Sir Galahad the Pure, or does he- I mean, I think, I think, uh, it's kind of interchangeable. Fair enough, fair enough. So, we learned that the main lady, her name is Zoot, and I was like, oh, when she said my name is Zoot, I was like, oh, they want him. And not just they want him, they want him in oh, like hanky panky. Massive thirst fest. Oh, very much so. Galahad wants to see the Grail, and Zoot keeps deflecting. It wants him to enjoy the hospitality that they have to offer. She explains that they are but eight score young blondes and brunettes between the ages of sixteen and nineteen. Cut off in the castle with no one to protect them. Major thirst fest. They have a very boring life and they aren't used to handsome knights. Zoot says that he is wounded and calls in the doctors. In walk two very young girls and Galahad is like, they're doctors. Zoot's like, well, they have basic medical training. And the doctors are named Dr. Piglet and Dr. Winston. I'm not gonna lie. I was upset that when I heard Dr. Piglet, the other one wasn't named Dr. Pooh. Oh, oh bother. <laughs> oh, me, oh, my. Or Dr. Tigger or Dr. Eeyore. I'm just saying it was right there. I'm more disappointed it wasn't Dr. Sherlock and Dr. Watson. But I feel like because neither of them were Sherlock or Watson... I'm not as upset that it wasn't Sherlock and Watson. I'm more <laughs> Neither upset. Neither were Sherlock nor Watson definitely exactly. in the brain capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Neither were Piglet in the brain capacity. <laughs> yeah, there's... <laughs> <laughs> so 
Galahad looks very uncomfortable as they are examining him. And I say this with, I did air quotes like the listeners can hear me when I said examining him. Because, you know, this is not just an audio medium. But Galahad rushes out of the room saying, I have to see the grail, I have to. He runs straight into a room full of women, and they all start getting close to him and start trying to flirt and say hello. We then meet Zoot's identical twin, Dingo. Fantastic name, adorable dog. Galahad says that he must go and find the Adorable looking, but God, they're vicious. Oh, yeah. If anyone's listening, don't go try and pet a Dingo. Just observe from afar. It will bite your hand off. Mm -hmm. Something Mm -hmm. that the Black Knight couldn't do. No, no, he would lose the hand. <laughs> so, Dingo says that Zoot is a nasty and evil person because Zoot had been lighting the beacon, which was grail-shaped. Dingo looks straight into the camera and then says, Do you think the scene should have been cut? They were worried when the boys were writing it, but now they are glad. It's better than some other scenes. And then we proceed to see a bunch of other scenes saying get on with it um we see the three-bodied knight we see dennis we see god we see a massive army and i was like this get on with it i'm not gonna lie this massive army would have been very helpful against the french but did they think about that no (laughs) no pikachu know everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah Look, Pikachu does know everything. Pikachu is a god, and Pikachu is like level 1,000. At least Ash is Pikachu. For those of you who don't know, we were making a uh, Gabriel Iglesias reference. Oh, yes. Fantastic comedian. So, Dingo then proceeds to explain, we have one punishment for lighting the beacon. You must tie her down and spank her. Galahad. Spank her. Dingo. Spank her. And after, you can do with her as you like. And after that, spank me. And then all the other girls in the room were... And me, and me, and me, and we all get spankings. Pretty much. And Dingo says that he has to give them all a good spanking. Galahad looks terrified. And after the spanking, it's time for the oral sex. And Galahad, bless his heart, is like, Well, I guess I can stay a bit longer. And just then, in bursts Lancelot, saying that they must leave, and Galahad is in great peril. Galahad tries to say that he will stay and that he can defeat them easily. It's okay, there's only 150 of them. It's fine. Don't worry, Lancelot. I can take care of this. They're all girls, ranging from 16 to 19 and a half. Exactly, and there are only 150 of them. I think I can take care of this, Lancelot. Dinko and the girls are agreeing with Galahad. Saying, no, 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 let him beat us easily. <laughs> we haven't a chance. <laughs> Eventually, Lancelot gets Galahad outside. And outside, the two of them are having an argument. And Lancelot says, you were in great peril, Galahad. And Galahad is like, but can I have a little bit of peril? Is this my duty as a knight to sample as much peril as I can? Is that the that exact That line quote? is just, mm. <laughs> Fantastic. So... Lancelot, we then learn, had saved Sir Galahad from temptation. No, no, you skipped over another great line. Did I? Oh, let me just have a little bit of peril. No, it's unhealthy. Galahad says to Lancelot, I bet you're gay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't he catch says, that no, line. Galahad calls Lancelot gay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Based on what happens, oh, you soon, don't want to go into possibly. a uh, castle full of uh, nubile women and uh, have some fun. You're clearly gay. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with being gay. We'll say. There is a very... I'm eating peanut M&M's. Why are you are... eating while we're doing a I'm podcast? I'm hungry! Yes, but we're recording audio, Dylan. I have no shame. Have a little. No. It's kind of a joke that lends itself to the time, obviously. Um, it's a joke that... 1975, sure. Has it aged very well? No. But also... But it hasn't aged terribly. It's not the most, like, insensitive joke possible in today's society. Exactly. At least, I wouldn't get offended if I heard that. Fair enough. But it's definitely towing the line a bit. Yeah, here's the one thing that I will say before we break for intermission. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is gonna be a bit longer just because we've gone on multiple tangents and have kind of just gone deep in depth so enjoy the longer episode this week i guess but one thing that i will say on that front is whenever people bring up jokes in films and tv shows or theater shows or any type of show however you want it to be any any form of medium that comedy is prevalent exactly when these jokes are made they're made in that time. And sure, 15, 20 years later, 30 years later, they may not have aged very well. And that's okay. Recognizing that the joke may not have aged well and understanding that it has not aged well is good. And I think that it is healthy. What I do not think is healthy that I think a lot of times is happening. I see it more and I don't know just you know because of social media or whatever but we we hear about it a lot more when it's like you can't watch this film because it was like this like i've never seen gone with the wind but i remember a few years ago i think it was during covid when there was a lot of backlash on gone with the wind because of its portrayal of i think it was african americans in the movie came out the in story. the 19th 30s exactly and here's the thing i am all for people saying it hasn't aged well understand it learn why but we also have to understand for the day and age that it came out it was acceptable society can change gone with the wind also was is considered one of the greatest films of all time yeah in terms of filmography and all sorts of other things, like it is important to note that it's also set in 1861 in Georgia on a plantation. Setting matters. It's the same reason why 12 Years a Slave is controversial in how it portrays African Americans in a way, or because it shows slavery. But that's because it is a historically accurate portrayal of how people were treated. Do I agree that that's the way it should be? Absolutely not. 
that it is a horrific part of history. It should never be repeated. Slavery is awful. But understand from the perspective of the people making a film, particularly one that deals with historical moments, that there will be content in there that is not socially acceptable today because it was a different time. Yes. And that happens with not just films and any form of art that's being created today. If it is set in a historical time period, you have to be accurate to the history of the time. Otherwise, everyone's just then going to criticize the film being like, that's not how it was. And, you know, say that a film is set in the 1930s. That's not how it was in the 1930s. Like, you have to be willing to understand that, you know, art has to show the time, especially when it's historical. And sometimes, yeah, a joke is made. At that time, the joke is okay. The joke might not age well, but that's fine. Here's the thing. Society can change. Once something is put out in the world, in terms of art, it can't. At least when it comes to things like film. Right. Uh, because it's already been produced. I'm, I'm speaking in terms of film and, you know, say like stand-up specials or film or TV shows or, you know, theater shows, things like that. And I say stand-up shows specifically because that's where you see a lot of the backlash happening. And it's like, sure, a joke that might have been made 20 years ago, that comedian would not make the same joke today, right? And they accept that. They understand that that joke was not... But that was 20 years ago. That was 20 years ago. I would never make that joke today because society has completely changed, and I respect that, and I see that, and I have changed with society. So before we go to intermission, the one thing that I will say is if... You haven't taken anything away from this entire podcast because 90% of the time we're making jokes and being said. But one thing I hope that you take away is just understand society can change, but that doesn't mean that you have to hate on things that were made before or before society changed. Before society changed or potentially things that will still be made in the future, but portray how society used to be. Mm -hmm. so on that fun note we're gonna pop to intermission and then we will pop right back and we will continue learning about these lovely quests that our knights are on hello everyone and welcome to the intermission i hope you are enjoying this episode of post finale and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of post finale now if you would like to help the show and gain access to bonus content, gain access to bonus audio, my notes, and help me choose what films I will be watching in the future, you can do all of this by going to patreon.com slash postfinale. Now, going to the Patreon, you sign up at any tier, and I will read your name off during the next episode of Post Finale after I see the update, and all the money that is raised from the Patreon will go back into the show, into making it a better show, paying for better microphones, paying for better audio recording equipment, things like that. And if you cannot help out the show in a monetary way, that's completely okay. Just keep tuning into the show, it helps a lot. And if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can do so. Just leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcast app you are using to listen to the show. This helps a lot. 
Also, be sure to follow us on social media at PostFinalePod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can keep updated about the show. Talk about us on social media and make sure and tag us on social media as well. All of this definitely helps. And thank you to everyone who has already done this and anyone who will do this in the future. It means a lot to me and your support is greatly appreciated. And last but not least, I would love to hear from you all. If you have anything that you want to say about the show, if you're hearing something and you know, one of those questions that we ask and put out to the world you have an answer to, let us know. Send us an email. We have an email, postfinalepod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I will respond to every email that I get, even if it takes me some time. But feel free to do any of that. I hope you're enjoying this episode, and let's get back to it. And we are back. So, while poor Galahad is being whisked away by Lancelot, we then learn that Arthur and Bedivere have discovered something. And we are on to scene 24, which is a vital scene with great acting, according to the narrator, in which Arthur discovers a vital clue. We see Arthur and Bedivere talking to a hermit in the hermit's hut, and they are asking about an enchanter, who has seen the grail. The hermit has one eye with no pupil, it's just white, he has a very large nose, dirty teeth, and long disheveled white hair. Arthur asks where this man lives, and the hermit replies that he knows of a cave, a cave which no man has entered. There is much danger, for beyond that cave lies the gorge of eternal peril, which no man has ever crossed. Sequin? The Bridge of Death? Seek you the Bridge of Death. Seek you the Bridge of Death. Seek you. Seek, oh, seek you. That makes a lot more sense. I thought that they were naming the Bridge of Death. No, seek you the Bridge of Death. (laughs) English is funky, isn't it? (laughs) Words are hard. Words are hard. (laughs) So... Arthur just keeps asking him about the grail. And I'm like, look, Arthur, I get it. You want answers about the grail. That's the hermit's laugh. But Arthur wants answers about this grail. And I'm like, look, fair. You want answers. But maybe, just maybe, when someone starts telling you about treacherous paths and bridges of death, Maybe you should listen to them. Just a thought. You know, give it a hint. But the fact that he doesn't makes me more confident that Arthur isn't going to be alive at the end of the film. Can't say a lot. We will continue. So, the hermit laughs and just disappears. And suddenly, Arthur and Bedivere are outside in the woods with their fire. And I'm very confused. I was like, is everything an illusion? Is there magic afoot? And then I was like, oh, Merlin. Oh, wait, what if the old hermit was Merlin? I don't know. I haven't gotten to a point where I get to... Dylan's just laughing for anyone that is listening and wants to know. He's just he's just on his screen laughing, not saying anything, and I don't... I don't know how to feel about this, but... Oh, you sweet summer child. But, like, see, I'm like, oh, maybe it was Merlin, maybe it was Merlin trying to help, because, like, Arthur Merlin, I'm surprised that we're halfway through the film and we haven't met Merlin. And... 
for me personally, whenever I hear any story about King Arthur, there are three characters, no matter what, that always appear in the stories. Um, and that is Ar- Arthur, Lancelot, and Merlin. Those are the three consistents. And then the fourth one that shows up most of the time is Guinevere. Based on the way that this film is going, I don't anticipate Guinevere showing up, but I think that this might be Merlin. And I think that he may come back, or like will properly get introduced to Merlin later in the story. But it'll be revealed that this was actually the case. So... We hear lots of eerie sounds, crows, dark music, and the knights are trotting through the woods, and you can't see anything, and they can't seem to find their bearing. And they are seeing things, and we see many flashes in Arthur's eyes. They are large and wide, and you see a common sign of uneasiness, fright. That's just the sense that you're getting. And we suddenly come across a very large man, double the height of our knights, and he wears a full-length black cloak and a helmet that has horns on it like a buck. We learn that these are the knights who say knee. Arthur knee. looks scared, but um, there's only one knight. Where does the plural come from? We'll get to this in a second. I just only saw one knight to start with. We learn that they are the keepers of the sacred words knee, ping, and neom. Neom. Those are the words. Arthur then informs those who hear these words seldom live to tell the tale. And the Knights of Knee say that they demand a sacrifice. Arthur says that they are simpler travelers. They simply seek an enchanter who lives beyond the woods. And the Knights respond with, And that's when I was like, oh, all the other ones are just hiding in the bushes. This makes a lot more sense. So, Arthur, Bedivere, Patsy, and the fourth guy all look like they're getting hurt by just all of these knights saying the word Nick. And I'm like, look, I know words hurt, but normally they don't hurt you in a physical way unless someone has picked up a dictionary and chucked it at you. I don't know. I feel like if you said certain things, it would be very hurtful. I'm not saying that it won't be hurtful. I'm just saying that it wouldn't be hurtful in a physical way, which is how it was portrayed in the film. Fair enough. Words are very hurtful. Words have a lot of power. But they're not physical power. Arthurian England. Who knows? I don't know, maybe back in the day in 936 AD, words had the power to physically hurt people. It was I mean, they skill. literally just talked to an old man who basically disappeared his house. Like, crazier, <laughs> crazier stuff has happened than <laughs> words hurting. You're not wrong. But again, that was God Merlin. spoke to them from the sky. Like, what else do you want from them? I want them to not be hurt by words physically. God, there needs to be some realism about this film. So, anyway, back to Monty Python and the Knights of Ni. So, we learn that the Knights of Ni want shrubbery. This doesn't seem too hard. 
Mm-hmm. Arthur says that they will find a shrubbery. The leader says that if they do not return with shrubbery, they will not pass through alive. And they have a couple of requirements. The shrubbery must look nice and not be too expensive. And I was just like, well, this is very thoughtful of the Knights of Knee. You know, they could have requested an expensive shrubbery, but he doesn't. He just wants a nice, simple shrubbery. You know, maybe something to add to his garden. Just make it, make it spice up the garden a little bit. Look, look a little nice. Maybe there's one corner that just needs a little bit of love. You know, it doesn't need to be anything too fancy to take away from the rest of the garden. He just needs a simple garden. Just a simple garden. Just a simple, just a simple shrub for his garden. Also, much to ask. I don't feel like it is. Maybe they Maybe. didn't need to threaten them with death. But who am I to say? I was not there. Sometimes you just need it. Sometimes it's the only way to get people to do things, like me inviting you onto this podcast. I also like how the Knights of Knee leader's helmet is significantly too big for his head. And so when he moves his head, his head moves inside the helmet, but then the helmet itself doesn't move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that's part of, the, part of the bit. It definitely is. It is not... It's a conscious choice. Yes. It's a very conscious choice. They knew what they were doing. And it it was just... It's a subtle choice. Like, not everyone might have picked up on it. I mean, I go through these films with the fine-tooth comb, and even then, I miss a lot of things. I don't necessarily get every single thing. So, listeners, if you ever... Like Galahad Galahad calling Lancelot gay. I missed that. So listeners, if you're out there, you've seen these films, I'm assuming. And if you haven't, please go watch them. I'm trying to watch good films. We'll find out. Maybe down the line we'll eventually get to one that I don't think holds up, but that doesn't mean that you might not enjoy it. And if you notice something, hit me up on social media. Let me know, like, hey, you missed this, but, like, you know, I also noticed this. I'd love to hear from you. So we then... Cut back, real quick, to Frank's wife giving details to the police about Frank's death. And you just have one officer just closing Frank's eyes slowly. And I just like that we got to see a little bit of closure for Frank. (laughs) That poor man was just doing his job and got murdered in a drive-by. Yep. I'm sorry, a ride-by. Ha ha ha. I'm disappointed in you. You probably should be. <laughs> we're supposed. We're talking about a comedy, and here you are dropping absolute garbage. It's two a.m. I'm on four hours of sleep, and I just worked an eleven-hour shift today too. <laughs> anyway, so the last little bit that we will get to today is the tale of Sir Lancelot. Now, I don't think. As far as I have seen so far, we might not finish all of the tale of Sir Lancelot, but let's see how much of it we get through. So, my first instinct was, we already had this tale. He ruined Galahad's chance at peril. We've been over this. Apparently, he got called gay. What more do we need to learn? Apparently, a lot. Mm -hmm. So, while the author 
of the book, this is again an animated sequence, when the author of the book is finishing the tea in Lancelot, a big rumble slash bang makes him scribble all over the page. And the banging continues and the author goes to investigate. He goes down a massive staircase and the bangs become more consistent. And we see him keep going down the staircase. Yep. He finally gets outside and we see that the banging is done by the sun and clouds who all have human legs. Just legs, no arms, nothing else, just human legs. And they are jumping up and down. The author tells them to stop. The clouds do go away, and eventually the sun goes away as well. Again, I'm just left confused. I don't get it. Understandable. What's going on? Did this mean anything? No. No, it did not. It was literally there as like a comedic cutaway. You know how they would do like cut cutaways and like Family Guy and stuff like that? That's basically what it is. I'm gonna say yes, even though I think I've seen a total of like six episodes of Family Guy. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you. I don't. I just never watched it. I know some of the jokes. Stewie's wonderful, but I never really got into it. So, anyway, on to the tale of Sir Lancelot. We open, not with Lancelot, we open at a castle and a man is telling his son, I'm guessing it's his son, that one day all of this will be his. And I was just like, well, not if Lancelot has anything to say about it. I don't really know what the tale is going to be, but I feel like at this point, Lancelot is going to kill the kid or kill the dad and take over the land for the kid kind of deal like he's gonna kill the kid or the dad I, i'm not fully sure on which one everything he can see will become his kingdom and i was like mufasa <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like hello james Earl jones your pigmentation has changed but the meaning is the same james Earl jones delivers it better in my opinion I'm also very biased. I love The Lion King. It's a fantastic film. No disagreement from here. Wonderful. So we then see that the boy doesn't want any of it. The king, I'm going to call him king. I'm going to call him Beard King. I don't know if that's his name, but I, as far as I've gotten, I haven't gotten a name yet. So his name is Beard King. So Beard King says that he built everything from nothing. That all of this area used to be a swamp. He built it up, and the first castle sank into the swamp. So he built a second, which also sank into the swamp. So he built a third, and that one burned down, fell over, and then sank into the swamp. And the fourth one, that one stayed up, and that's what the boy will get. The strongest castle on the island. Two things. One... Did he keep building in the same place? Because if so, how many dead burial sites did he build over? That's a great question that I don't have the answer to. Fair enough. And two, if he did, of course the fourth is going to be the strongest. There was no more swamp underneath to eat the other three. It was full after eating three castles. The swamp was filled to the brim. It couldn't fit another castle. Maybe the swamp wanted to, but it was just slightly too bloated. 
Or maybe the swamp didn't have an ogre. Every swamp needs an ogre. Or else shit like this happens. Exactly. And it's not fun. Not fun for the swamp. The swamp needs an ogre. I think that's the takeaway from this. The swamp needs an ogre. Hey, you know how Shrek wanted to move away in the first one? Mm -hmm. Yep. I found him a swamp. Look, Lancelot does a lot of the work too. Gets rid of a lot of people. We'll get to that. So, the kid still doesn't want any of it, but would just rather sing. Beard King says that he is not going to sing while he is here. I'd just rather sing. Yeah, he never gets to sing. And then no. <laughs> I think probably one of my favorite bits of this movie is the whole, like, son wanting to, like, Disney princess style sing. And then the father immediately always interjecting whenever he's about to sing and just being like, nope, mm -mm, not happening. It is a fantastic bit. And I think currently it is the best recurring bit that I have come across. That and Sir Robin just being scared of everything. I love that bit as well. It's fantastic. There are two wonderful bits. Look, if there's one thing that improv taught us, it's commit to the bit. Which is why, when I get petty and I leave a room, I will leave the room. <laughs> I might return two minutes later, but I will walk fully out of the room. Because you gotta commit to the bit. Gotta commit to the bit. Again, you can return 30 seconds later, but you committed. And that's the important thing. Commit to the bit. You don't have to commit too hard, because then, you know, you ruin friendships, potentially. But, find the healthy medium. Have some fun. Sometimes you gotta create your own entertainment. Indeed. So, King Beard, Beard King, whatever his name is, says that in 20 minutes, the lad will be married to a girl whose father owns the biggest tracts of open land in Britain. Now, when this was said, I looked at the timestamp, and the timestamp for this was 48 minutes and 36 seconds, which means that at the 1 hour 8 minute and 36 second mark, Roughly, they should be married. We will find out next episode what actually happens at the 1 hour, 8 minute, and 36 second mark, because I haven't gotten to that point yet. But don't worry, I will report back and see what happens in exactly 20 minutes. Now, Lad, not Alice, his name is Herbert, doesn't want the land. The Beard King says that they live on a swamp, and they need all the land you can get. And in all caps, I have, it's your bloody fault. The Earth tried to warn you three times to go somewhere else, but no, King with the beard knows everything. <laughs> Going back to the whole Pikachu knows everything quote. <laughs> it's a fantastic line, and I love Full it. Circle, I baby. use it all the time. Full circle. <laughs> so, Herbert doesn't like this girl that he has to marry despite her being rich beautiful and having huge tracts of land that's all nothing else just huge tracts uh, of land no notes <laughs> no notes herbert says that he wants a girl the girl that he marries to have a certain special something and he tries to go back into song and the beard king stops him again beard king says that herbert will marry Princess Lucky. That's just a lazy name. Come on. Guys, I, I get it. 
but also Princess Lucky means 100% she's going to be unlucky. Yeah. That's just laziness. I feel like he could have picked something a little bit better. Look, I haven't written anything better. I'm not saying that I'm better than these people in any way, shape, or form. I'm just an idiot on the internet making fun of things. However, Princess Lucky, <laughs> she's going to be unlucky. It's, it's, it's right there. It's in the name. So, Beard King tells the guards not to let Herbert leave the room until he comes back to get him. The guards, don't let the prince leave the room even if the Beard King comes to get him. Um, not, not quite. The guard tries again. Until you come to get him, we're not to enter the room. Beard King is obviously getting very upset with them. He's like, no. You stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. Now the guard is very confused. And he finally gets there and asks if Herbert can leave the room with them. Beard King gets very upset and repeats what he said initially until the guard finally gets it. Now, may I just say, fantastic comedic sequence, go watch it. And secondly, I feel like asking if he can leave the room with the guards is not the worst question that could have been asked. And what is that question, Ankit? He, he said it earlier. Don't let the prince leave the room, even if the beard king comes to get him. It's not necessarily a question. <laughs> But, like, that's the worst thing. At least in my opinion. I don't know. Listeners, if you come up with anything else that is silly and a terrible question to ask in this situation, let me know. So, the Beard King, finally, he gets out. And, you know, everyone's confused, but it's fine. The guard's got it. However, the guard does get slightly confused at the end here, asking why he has to look over, look after the other guard. Because it makes no sense. Because it was Doft having to guard a guard. That's <laughs> just funny. Yeah. The whole, like, back and forth between these two seemed very much like the whole, like, who's on first, what's on second bit. Um, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello, very much that, like, generic kind of baseline comedy kind of, kind of thing. Something that just kind of keeps going and going and going, but is, like, funny enough to where it doesn't feel like it's getting overdone and the entire time just having the second guard there just doing hiccups just oh, like yeah. randomly <laughs> just they're talking back for then all of a sudden just <gasps> i 100 percent feel like while they were filming that scene they realized we only wrote dialogue for two guards but we have three of them in here and just looked at and, the guy who was playing the other guard who didn't have any uh, of the Graham lines. Graham Chapman. Graham Great. Chapman, who also plays uh, Arthur. They looked at him and were just like, do something. And he just came up with hiccups. <laughs> 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 like, just beautiful. It's, it's a lovely scene. I cannot do it justice in explaining it. Just please go watch it, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already done so it is very much a master class and just i would say just silliness without them trying to be much else yeah they're not trying to i think what makes this film work right and it's what makes comedy such a difficult thing for actors to do and you know 
you may you may be an actor listening to this you may not be an actor but you may have heard this phrase before Dylan correct me if I'm wrong like you probably have that it is harder to act in a comedy than it is to act in a drama or something along those lines I would say so because anybody can be dramatic but not everybody can be funny exactly now here's the one thing that I will say what makes this work and what makes any comedy work and honestly any scene and it's a very basic thing but it is also a very difficult thing sometimes for actors to do and i mean i still struggle with this and i know actors who have been acting professionally for years who still struggle with this but it's simply the thing of believing everything and everything is happening to you in that moment at that time and you have to believe it with your whole heart right and i think that's why this comedy works so well is that they're not trying to be over the top they're just being the guard who's just confused he's just got his words mixed up that's all words are hard yeah. it's fine words are hard words are hard don't worry about it like and that's what makes this comedy work because through all the ridiculous you never feel like any character is trying to be too over the top they are simply yes that character and that is what makes this comedy work because i think another part of it is they lean into the fact that these are just simple guards to a castle in the middle ages they're not supposed to be the most intelligent people on the planet they're not scholars they're not you know those who have read probably they might be literate like the, another reason why it makes it so funny it's it's believable but that that they're that stupid exactly it's it's both senses the writing is impeccable that it's you can believe from the writing standpoint yeah they can be that dumb and the story standpoint yeah they can be that dumb and then the actors do a wonderful job where even though they are playing dumb to them they're right mm-hmm and they believe everything that they are saying, and that is what matters the most. Again, me talking about it, I can't do it justice. I wish I could. I cannot. It is something that I just cannot do justice to. And I think I'm going to find that as I go through more and more, that I feel like the comedies are going to be harder for me to describe. Because, again, it's a lot about the timing. It's about the writing and the truth mm-hmm. behind it. I will do my best to describe, but it's it's hard to describe. Not saying that dramas are necessarily easy to describe, but easier because I don't have to always worry about the timing, the pace, the quickness sometimes. Anyway, back to the film. We then have the Beard King leave, and he tells Herbert to put the suit on and no singing now my guess here is that lancelot is going to come save herbert after hearing him sing through the window i was wrong herbert then goes to the wall we do not need our <laughs> kelly references on this podcast sorry <laughs> I, oh. I apologize but it was just you said through the window instead of to the window and so i was just like i had to <laughs> look it was a song that i heard more times than I can count while I was in college in Portland. So, yeah, fair enough. 
So Herbert goes and he writes on a piece of paper with his quill. He attaches it to an arrow and shoots it out the window with such a powerful shot that I feel like, you know, Herb could have thrown the arrow out of the window and the note would have gone farther than he shot that arrow. Now, finally, in the tale of Sir Lancelot, we get to see Lancelot. Mm-hmm. We come across Lancelot and his companion, Concord. Concord? Yes, Concord. Concord. And they are trotting through the woods and they come across a river. Concord is then suddenly shot in the chest with Herb's arrow and a note. Bullshit. No way it had enough velocity or speed to travel anywhere, let alone stab Concord. I don't care. He couldn't have gone farther than four inches away from the castle wall. It's a comedy. Okay, look, it was hilarious and I laughed out loud, but also, oh shit. what I hate with So, also, again... I just feel really bad for these companions and servant boys because they just get beaten up a lot for no apparent reason. <laughs> They're just being good and doing their job. I was suddenly very concerned. I was like, no, Concord dead. Lancelot then reads the note, and here's what it says. To whoever finds this note, I have been imprisoned by my father who wishes me to marry against Please, please, please come and rescue me. I am in the tall tower of Swamp Castle. Again, not a very good name for a castle, but I guess it's better than Castle Anthrax. I would say so, because at least at least they're not trying to be anything more than they already are. It's very straightforward. It's a castle on a swamp, and instead of calling it Castle Swamp, they just call it Ca- Swamp Castle. Fair enough. I'll, I'll let it slide. Another... Another great line in this scene is when he, when Concord gets hit by there, he literally just says, message for you, sir. <laughs> it is fantastic. And then dies. <laughs> and so Lancelot says that this cry of distress may lead to the Holy Grail. Not completely sure how, Lancelot, but sure, I'll entertain the thought. Maybe, like I said, Homie just takes things way too seriously. <laughs> Fair enough. Me or Lancelot? Uh, uh, Lancelot. Okay. I, I don't know. I'll entertain the idea that maybe Herbert has a map and he's the one the hermit spoke of. I highly doubt it, but fine. I'll play along. And Lancelot says, Concord, you shall not have died in vain. Concord isn't dead. In fact, he thinks that he can just go with Lancelot. <laughs> rehashing rehashing the uh bring out your dead scene just slightly differently yeah definitely lancelot says no and that he will send help as soon as he accomplishes a daring and heroic rescue in his own particular idiom sir idiom yes concord has to interject so lancelot runs off leaving concord on his own to just i don't know i guess sit there he just sits there and like he's, drums his fingers he's just like <laughs> just chilling <laughs> i was like concord do you want to pull that arrow out of your chest no all right cool like nice hey i mean let's be honest here probably smart to leave the arrow in his body because if he pulls it out he's gonna start bleeding it's not the worst idea i mean fair enough so we then see some people getting ready i'm assuming it's princess lucky and we hear some wonderful jolly music people start to arrive for the wedding Lancelot runs up and the guards see him from a distance. 
whenever we see Lancelot, we hear timpanies. Quick question. <laughs> Did they just use the same clip of Lancelot running five times in a row? Yes. Okay. Yes, they did. <laughs> cool. Um, they just, just played it over and over and over again. Fair enough. I appreciate that. You know what? Sure. It, it was very funny. I just caught it. I think I caught it on, like, number three. Of like, this looks the same. Oh, this is the same. I'm pretty sure this is the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this part is fantastic. Now, I will run through a little bit of this. Dylan, feel free to interject if I miss something. But I'm gonna I'm Go gonna it. run up because it's it's a it's a sequence and a half. So Lancelot runs up. He stabs the poor guard that was just eating his apple, and then he runs inside the castle. The second guard nonchalantly is like, "Hey!" Now Lancelot runs in, and he is stabbing and killing everyone. He is causing chaos. I counted that he killed. 14 people in cold blood, and they were just minding their own business and having a good time getting excited for the wedding. And I was like, oh, it's like the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. That's one of, like, three things I know about Game of Thrones. I mean, I've I read the first book and didn't like it. Fair enough. And I refused to watch the show. Is that controversial? Probably. Will that make people question, you know, question my, uh, my thoughts and opinions? Most likely. Do I care? Not at Fair all. Fair enough, as long as you don't care. But yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record. Uh oh. To the oh, masses. No. I don't like Game of Thrones. Period. Any complaints can be directed to at Dylan Black. I don't even know your handle on Instagram. Ah, uh, no, ah, uh, no social media whatsoever. I'm not gonna lie. You're <laughs> on Instagram. I will do not give you permission to put that. I know there. you're on it. I also don't remember what your am actual <laughs> tag is, so I have no idea if his thing is at Dylan Black. But any complaints can be sent to at Dylan Black if you find him. Good luck. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, I know three things about Game of Thrones. I know. The Red Wedding, where all I know about it is that there is a wedding and everyone dies. I know Emilia Clarke's character is a queen? And she's like the queen of dragons or is somehow related to dragons or something? Oh, I guess I do know a fourth thing. Jon Snow says winter is coming. Because... It was actually first said by Ned Stark. I do. Why not? I don't know. I just know the meme. Ned Stark is literally the one in the meme. I thought it was Jon Snow. This tells you how much I know about Game of Thrones. Anyway, Lancelot then runs into a room with Princess Lucky. He kicks her to the floor, then kills three more people, bringing the death toll to 17. He runs upstairs, swipes at some flowers, because why not? And then he stabs someone else, gets his death toll up to 18. Lancelot then runs up the tower. He kills both guards, bringing the death toll to a nice round even 20. Or so. I counted roughly 20 listeners. I mean, when he knocks over, when he knocks over the, the stage where all the musicians are on, some of them might have died. I am going simply based on who I could see that he stabbed or sliced at. 
is how I got about 20. I think I got that right. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's about 20. We then see Lancelot, and he nails at Herbert, and he introduces himself. Herbert is very happy that Lancelot got his note, and Lancelot apologizes. Lancelot was probably expecting a woman, whom he did kick in the gut, by the way. Herbert is happy and says that he knew someone would come. He's about to sing. Hey, man. His, his violence for Lancelot is rated E for everyone. It's beautiful violence. I'm here for it. I was laughing. Absolutely ridiculous. I agree. Absolutely ridiculous. So, Herbert says that he knew that someone would come, about to sing, and is stopped again by Beard King. Lancelot apologizes for killing all the guards, which apparently cost about 50 pounds each. Herbert has a rope ready, and we learn that Lancelot also killed eight wedding guests in all, and that Lancelot thought that Herb was a lady, which... The Beard King can understand, of course. Lancelot killed the bride's father. He didn't mean to, but he just accidentally put a sword through his head. Lancelot, the good guy that he is, asks if he is alright. We also learn that Lancelot kicked the bride in the chest. Look, it was massive, it was crazy, it was hilarious. Fantastic sequence. Herbert is in the background while this entire conversation is happening between the Beard King and Lancelot, and he's working on climbing out of the window with his rope. And Lancelot tries to explain that he was in the forest, he got the note, and he explains that he is a knight of King Arthur's. King Beard is elated, and he invites Lancelot for a drink. Lancelot agrees and thanks him for being so understanding and that he just got carried away. King Beard then unties Herbert's ropes, and Herbert falls. Honestly... What's one more death? We killed like 20-something-odd people. Meh. Whatever. So everyone is in the main hall. Everyone is upset about all the death. They spot Lancelot, and they yell, attack, and they, you know, go up to try to kill him. And he kills a couple more, including the best man. Oops. King Beard explains that Lancelot is from Camelot, and that he is a brave and special guest today. King Beard says, let us celebrate, let us not bicker about who has been killed. And that Herbert... <laughs> Let's not argue about who killed who. It's not important, don't worry about it. Meh. And it's okay, because Herbert has also fallen to his death. But he has gained a daughter. Because after her father's tragic death, he's not quite dead. The near-fatal wounding... Recycling, recycling comedy. The near-fatal wounding of her father. He's getting better! King Beard then proceeds to give a nod. For since her own father, who, when he was about to recover, suddenly felt the icy hand of death upon him. Stabbed by a guard. He's dead! Fantastic. Mwah. Lovely sequence. No notes. King Beard explains that he wants the daughter, Princess Lucky, to look upon him as his dad in a as legally binding sense as possible. <laughs> I yep. appreciated the legally binding sense as possible. <laughs> so, Herbert is then carried in by Concord. And he explains that he was saved the last minute. We then go into the start of a song. 
and Concord tells Lancelot to come with him, but Lancelot must escape in a more dramatic way. He then swings off the stairs and gets stuck on the rope swings, asking for a push. And that is where we are going to end this extremely long episode of post-finale. Dylan, do you have anything else to add? It just keeps getting better and better from here, it man. It does. Like... Okay, I'm excited because this is as far as I have seen. I haven't seen the rest of the film, so I legitimately do not know what's happening. I'm still feeling pretty confident that Arthur is not going to be alive at the end of the film, but the Holy Grail will be found. Yeah. Yeah. That's about where we're at. So, Dylan, thank you so much for joining. Is there anything you want to tell the world before we sign off here? Eat your vegetables, go to bed at good times, and reach out to whichever parents you have and tell them you love them. All wonderful things to do. And thank you so much for joining me today, Dylan. It was an absolute pleasure. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'll catch y'all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison, and the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to support the show and gain access to bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money made from the Patreon will be put directly back into the show. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at postfinalepod. Also, if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch more movies. Check out this new podcast. Talk about the show on social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. All of these things help tremendously, and I appreciate every single one of you that has done this already, and every one of you that will do this in the future. But I'm just thankful that you've joined for this episode, and listened to this episode of Post Finale. And be sure to join us next week, as Dylan comes back once again, and we finish our discussion of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And until next time, I'll catch y'all later.